This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that puts the mail in mailbag. Oh, mail and mail, like blokes, like mail. Moving right along, I'm Andrew Page and with me is Scott Phillips. G'day Andrew, g'day Phil, good to be with you. That just keeps getting worse, doesn't it? (laughs) Doesn't it? Today on the podcast, Tats and Tattersalls, the federal court says no to that giant proposed merger. Andrew, Andrew, Andrew. What? There was no James Fetter gun. Oh, there wasn't. We missed out. We we, we, we peaked last week. Serious words uh, to Liam for that one. Um, right. Toys R Us goes to the wall. Uh, is that a sign of things to come? What's going on there? Janie's got a... And uh, the... It's gone, mate. We, we, it, it, it just wasn't going to happen. There's no all bringing right, it back. All right, all right. The RBA, get this. The RBA has paid a $1.3 billion, that's with a B, dollar dividend to the government. Where do they nice. get the money for that? How does nice, that all work? Nice business I thought it was a really it. interesting kind of topic. We'll, we'll dive into that. We open the mailbag as well. A really good question on fiddling the books or providing more clarity, I suppose, in terms of when a business communicates to its investors and the market. And of course, it wouldn't be a Motley Fool Money uh, podcast without someone getting on their high horse. And it's my turn today. Excellent. Yes. Mate, let's, uh, we better, we better crack we a lot to do. this uh, quickly. Yes. So, uh, Tats and Tattersalls. So these guys are under all kinds of trouble. Aren't they? Um, Basically, these were just phenomenally deep, deeply moded businesses. Were being the optimal word, right? Were. Licenses to print money. And then we've had a whole bunch of international players and online gaming apps and all of this stuff come through. And it's really undermined their business and their market share. Yep. So they sort of said, well, listen, for us to survive and compete in this new reality, we need to merge. Yes. And they submitted an application and the federal court said no. Well, here's the funny thing about this, right? So... We won't get the arcana of, of which regulator does what, but effectively, almost all all takeovers, all mergers have to go through the ACCC. Yep. And the ACCC says, is there a lessening of competition? In other mm. words, is there less competition as a result? Yep. There's another body, though, called the Australian Competition Tribunal, if you can believe it. Right. And that has a mandate to say, is there a net benefit to the public? Right. Which are slightly different things, yes, right? Yes, yes. The, the tats, and didn't tats they court bypass guys, a That was the thing, right? right? They, they, bought, they bypassed the ACCC. The Australian Competition Tribunal said, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And the ACCC and Crown took it to court and said, yeah. that was a bad call, bad decision. Mm-hmm. We think the federal court should overturn the decision of the Competition Tribunal, and it did. Yeah. As you know, this $11 billion merger is absolutely in limbo. Yeah. Both companies, of course, saying, oh, I'll be fine, I'll be fine, I'll be fine. But effectively, the court set aside the ACT decision. Mm. They're going to go back and reevaluate and work out whether this truly is the right thing for Australia, the right thing for those businesses, whether it does add a net benefit. And again, whether the ACCC gets involved on that competition question. We'll keep watching this one. But I guess the, the question I'd ask for you, Mr. Phillips, yes, is Mr. that if it was... If, uh, yeah, well, yeah. Know, I, I respect, I I respect right. my elders. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I'm older. You are older, yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice try. <laughs> so uh, I guess if, if you could say that this merger was to go ahead, yes. somehow you knew this, is yes. does that make these um, businesses more interesting to you, or this business, I guess, as it will be if it merges? Yeah, not really, unfortunately. And, and you, you made the point when we started that the, the reason they are merging is because there's a whole new world of competition. Mm. And this, this is the real challenge. Tats and Tattersall's own TABs and lotteries yeah. and all of the things that 25 years ago, as you said, were a license to print money. Mm. These days, the money they're being spent on online entertainment broadly and gambling in particular is absolutely dwarfing the money being spent at TABs. When's the last time anyone walked into a TAB? There's probably some people out there listening who do it regularly. Mm. Everybody else, I'm sorry to say, does it online. And you're not necessarily, you know, if, if you're the only TAB operator in, in New South Wales or, or Queensland or Victoria, 
you can't, the punters got no choice. Mm. These days, there are so many online bookies, so many online options, including Lotto Land of all places that do a. Uh, they're basically a bookmaker betting on Lotto. So you kind of got this uh, Lotto, right? So you, you've got yeah. kind of you know turtles on turtles, and and you think about it, there's so much competition now for the consumer dollar and for the gambling dollar. Mm. Tats and Tattles is absolutely scrambling to keep up. I think they should mer- they should try and merge. It makes mm. sense for them. Mm. Um, and frankly, I have to say, I'm normally on the side of the ACCC and most things. But I really struggle to see where the problem is here. Yes, there's less Australian-based lotteries competition. Yeah, it's how you define But in the world of the gambling dollar, right. I mean, mm-hmm. ACCC originally said that Matt Cash couldn't buy Franklin's, the grocery wholesaler couldn't That's buy Franklin's because right. there wasn't right. enough competition in the wholesale space, yes. which is true, except that wholesaling is a proportion of total grocery sales, about 10%. Yeah. And Woolies, Coles, Aldi, Little, Costco, Amazon have the rest of it. Yeah. And when you're kind of saying, I'm going to define competition so narrowly, yes. as to effectively put Franklin's out of business because it was too much competition or too little in the wholesale silly. space, um, gets a bit mad. So look, I, I would like to think there's more gambling places than fewer. Yeah. Competition is always good. In this scenario, though, I think they've probably missed the ball when it comes Did to Did I just hear you say you wish there was more gambling places? I, I never expect to hear that from you. I, I, you hear I, it here I am first, always, I am always a fan of more competition. I don't want more people gambling, but if you're going to, I want you to have more options. <laughs> okay. So that the, uh, so the oligopoly isn't, isn't taking your, your money out of your pocket. Uh, nicely navigated out of that one, mate. <laughs> Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Let's move on. Indeed. Now, Toys R Us. Uh, toys R Us. Toys were us. Uh, toys were us. Well, so over in the big US company. Liam, Liam smiled at that one. Okay. That was good. Yeah, that's a first for everything. That was better than the mailbag. <laughs> Let's face it. It wasn't hard. So All uh, I heard then was Liam saying Toys R Us. Toys R Us was good. I, was good. I didn't hear the other stuff. Okay. So big uh, US multinational. <laughs> They've uh, gotten into a bit of trouble over in the US. They've gone bankrupt. Toys place. were us, you toys say? Toys were us. <laughs> Keeps giving, doesn't it, that uh, one? Uh, uh, so. So what does that mean for the Australian operations? You're they going to say stop making bad jokes and such. Yeah, I will. Business. I will keep trying to talk over you as much as oh. I can and, until I'm <laughs> until I'm confident there's no bad jokes about to come up. Oh, that's a long time to keep talking. Oh, no, that's true. Oh, here's your chance. Toys yeah. R Us was uh, well, it still is in existence. Apparently, allegedly, they say only the U.S. businesses are affected by this. Right? How that's possible is beyond I was me. Now, ask you that. So, so <laughs> okay. well, there, there is a there, there is a small version of the answer, which is a lot of the Toys R Us stores internationally are licensed stores. Okay. Think franchises effectively. Yep. So yep. there are some that are impacted, some that aren't. And but they're not, they're not uh, liable for the debts of the parent company? Correct. And, that, and that's, okay. that's why they're saying there's a difference here. Right. The, the, the debts and the, the bankruptcy protection is, is all... And in, that's in what some, I should office. have mentioned as well. There's a very, very large amount of debt that yeah, uh, they're having trouble rolling well, over. Well, so this was the problem, right? So Toys R Us... You know, <laughs> I'll tell you how this works and, and, and people might think of Myra as I'm talking. There was a whole... There was a private equity mob who bought Toys R Us Floated it back on the market with an absolute truckload of debt. Yeah. And then Toys R Us got a little bit of trouble with trying to get sales growing. Yep. And what happens? The debt overwhelms you. You can make, the, you can make a massive profit. But if your debt is your interest payments are larger than the profit you're making, you can't go forward. You can only go backwards. Yep. That's Toys R Us's problem. They knew they couldn't refinance the debt when it came due. Yep. So they've gone into bankruptcy. Now, we show, it's not even bankruptcy. In the US, they have a thing called bankruptcy protection. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a more lenient, believe it or not, the, the land of the free with low regulation and low wages and everything else. Um, there, is a, there is a protection for companies who are in or near bankruptcy, mm. which basically allows them to reorganize themselves and get back out into, into a better trading environment in its current form. Um, under this bankruptcy protection, they call it. So chapter 11, people will have heard or read about. Um, Toys R Us is trying to navigate. Basically what will happen is they'll they'll pay down some debt. Um, they'll have some of that debt forgiven. They'll probably swap some debt for shares. And I would expect they'll refloat at some point on the, on the US exchanges yeah. in the relatively n- near future um, with hopefully for them a new lease on life. 
Um, but that is, yeah, it is the perils of debt are so clear there. Isn't it what? The question, it, of well, course, especially in, especially in a retail oh. environment where things are tough and especially as just to preempt you, I'm sure is, is that in a retail environment that is undergoing vast, vast structural right. change. And, that, and that's the important part here. So thinking about where the money's going, where it's coming from, Toys R Us had no right to have, you know, the only reason they've got debt is because the PE guys wanted it to have debt. Yeah. It, you know, it, well, it's a great way to extract a bunch of value out of it. <laughs> so, so here's the problem. You buy a business for a hundred bucks. Yeah. You, you give it debt of $80, $80. Yep. And then you make a pay a dividend of $80 back to you. Yep. I've just got $80 in my pocket. Right. Business is still standing. Right. Well, huge amount of debt yeah. there now, yeah. but that's not my problem. You buy I've for, got my dividend. You buy for a hundred. You, you take 80 bucks worth of debt. It's a genius. Isn't it great? Isn't that brilliant? And except it doesn't do much for the business. And or society. <laughs> so Myers had, Myers had that problem. Yeah. Big Smith's already gone broke. Yeah. Um, they used to say never buy from Kerry Packer. Uh, you should never ever buy from private equity either, I would suggest. It seems to be. It's not always the case, but it seems more often than not, doesn't it? Well, that's Toys R Us. Let's, toys uh, were us. Yeah, toys were us. Let's, toys let's, might be us again. Maybe us coming. again they in keep the future. Coming. Real money advice from real people. Not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Riddle me this. So okay. we, we, we read in the paper the other day. Uh, the Reserve Bank of Australia, our central bank, yes. um, gave the government a lazy $1.3 billion. Hey, hey. That's not bad and walking around money. It's had an interesting chat between us. So I thought, we, this, is, this is something we could talk about. So the first question is, where does it get this money from? It's the central bank. Does this just print some money up? Is this so-called <laughs> helicopter money? Are, are they, are they got, is this a for-profit operation? Does the RBA actually make money? And if so, how? And if it does, how on earth? And it made a loss this year, by the mm -hmm. way, according to its, uh, its its annual statements. It has $1.3 billion on the balance sheet that it can pay out. And if you keep asking questions, will we have time to finish the podcast? <laughs> I don't right. know either. Tune in next week. <laughs> <laughs> so the RBA is interesting. It's, it's, it's a government entity, but it's kind of one of those um, government corporations. Yeah. So you think about like the likes of Australia Post or previously Medibank Private. Mm. The governments over the last 30 years have gone through a process of corporatizing many of the of the bodies that work or, or sit underneath that government ownership. Yep. So the RBA has its own balance sheet, has its own business. It previously was literally just an arm of government, arm mm. of treasury, frankly. Mm -hmm. yep. But by separating it out, making it a separate business, but also then giving it the requirement to pay a dividend to the government when it has the ability to do so, mm -hmm. is what the government basically has mandated the RBA with. In other words, it's part of the general running of the government, running of the economy. Yep. When it makes a profit, the government says, hey, you guys can't just keep stockpiling that stuff. Yep. We'd like some of that back to go into general revenue. Okay. This year, that was $1.3 billion That's huge. back to government coffers, despite the fact, by the way, it lost $900 million bucks. So give, give me some examples of how the RBA actually makes money. What's it, I know that it, it sells um, our currency expertise, actual yes. physical currency. Correct. So there's places in Africa that have uh, those plastic notes that are manufactured by the RBA. And there's Prince banknotes. You got a, bit of a, a scandal behind that and a separate yeah. story there as well. That's, yes. So that's one area of, of operation. Very, yes. very um, advanced currency as I understand it. Uh, what else? What else do they do? So the biggest role they have where they make most of their money is in currency. I don't want to call it trading because that sounds like they're kind of in this in this kind of FX trading thing that we talk about with people ads all over the place for. But basically they are buyers and sellers of assets and of currency. Mm -hmm. And because of the way they work, because of their mandate, they end up making a whole heap of money doing that. Every time, like it is, it is a, a consistently or you know more often than not profitable exercise. Or is it just that sometimes the chips land that way. They're 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 moving. They've got a specific purpose in mind, yep. and sometimes they make money when they do it, and, and sometimes not. Or is it very much a, a a reliably profitable exercise? Yeah. So they haven't lost money since two thousand nine ten. Okay. So call that 
seven straight years of making a dollar. Okay. That's a pretty good business to be in. Most businesses, you know, would love to have that sort of track record, especially given the dollar value of what they made. The question you're about to ask is how do they do it? So, yeah, the, so they might say, look, the Aussie dollars, and people are saying this at the moment, Aussie dollars a bit high. We'd prefer yep. that to be lower. Yep. Hey, can the RBA do some, um, what's it called? Not, I was going to say market manipulation, <laughs> market intervention. I think they call it open market operation. That's open market. So I say, right, I want the Aussie dollar to go down. I've got a bunch of Aussie dollars, so I'm just going to sell that on, on the exchanges, and that's yep. going to force, force the Aussie dollar to go down a bit. All right, so here's the thing. When you, when you trade currencies as a, as a punter, you basically say, I'm going to buy the currency that's going to go up. Yep. And I'm going to sell the currency that's going to go down. Yep. The RBA effectively does exactly the same thing, but at a much longer scale, longer time frame, and frankly, on a, on a much bigger level. Mm. And they make their money by being effectively the ultimate contrarian. So when the dollars they believe is too high yep. and cyclically too high, they go and sell those dollars. And so they, they, they're waiting until it gets to the very, very top and they're yep. making a sale at that point. But how, how do they know? How do they know it's at the very top? I well, mean, they, they, we, we know the success of most currency forecasters. Yeah. The RBA's got some special ability. Well, so here's the thing. You don't trade all the way through. Most currency <laughs> forecasters are trying to say, the dollar's 80 cents now. Will it be 81 cents by year end or not? Mm-hmm. The RBA take a longer term view and say, hey, let's, let's use exchange for a second. When the Australian dollar's buying a dollar ten US, yep. as it was, they are going to buy as many US dollars as they can physically buy. But But... Right. Okay. And then when it's sixty cents, they're going to sell as many US dollars as they physically can. And if that takes ten years, then fine. But what happens if they do that and then it, you know, it continues uh, to, to move in that direction? So in 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 waiting for that long term quote unquote investment to play out, they yep. can still they can still lose their shirt. Though, yeah. Right? And so that's why they lost nine hundred million dollars this year yeah. was actually unrealized losses because the currency went the wrong way. Okay. So the, and and don't and, remember, uh, don't, don't yeah. forget, these guys aren't making a single big bet on at one point on a currency. Yeah. Sure. Sure. What they're doing is they're selling a few US dollars as the, as the dollar gets high, yep. and then a few more, 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 and then a lot more as the currency gets higher and higher and higher. Yeah. So if you, and, and then they're waiting for as long as it takes. And this is actual real currency yeah. that's in exist. They're not making up nope. currency real to cash. do this. It's or, just from or their gold, by the way, or silver yeah. or something else. Okay. So they are they are doing that. On the way down, they're selling, again, at the opposite side of the spectrum when things get, price get really, really low. Yes. And that's all they need to do. And that's all they are doing. And so their, their business model is, is, frankly, to do exactly that. And what why are they doing it? Because... The government, like the like the RBA on interest rates, takes the heat out of the economy, puts it back in, moving interest rates up and down. They do the same with currency. When okay. the currency gets too high, they start selling more and more Australian currency, adding supply, more supply, same demand, price should come down. Okay, I get And similarly, that. when the price is low, they're saying, well, the price is low, we'd like the currency to be higher. We'll go and buy more currency. Now, you and I can do exactly the same thing. We could, if we wanted to, and if this was our business, mm. we could have, at dollar ten US, we could have been absolutely filling our boots. Or even a mm. dollar, even at 95 cents, mm. even 90 cents. Mm. And the RBA was probably buying US dollars right through that period, right? right? When the dollar falls to 75 cents as it did yep. or below, they'll start selling those. Now, yep. they might hold them for 10, 15, 20 years or they might hold it for three years. Yeah. They're just taking the edge off the currency on both ends. And if you're that person, you are the ultimate contrarian, which means you're always selling high. You're always buying low by definition. And that's the beauty of the RBA's model. Okay. So where, where the question I always have with this, and, and obviously it, it is um, a legitimate thing that works as all the central banks do it. Correct. But... To my mind, it seems as though, you know, as, as, a, as a believer in market forces and the rest of it, there is there, what ultimately drives currencies is the demand for that currency. Correct. So you have a whole uh, bunch of... Relative to the demand for other currencies. Sorry, relative to the demand of other currencies. Yes. So yes. if, if uh, a whole bunch of people need to buy stuff that is manufactured in Australia and you need to use our gift certificates, i.e. the, the Aussie dollar, <laughs> yes. to, to purchase That's those things, um, th- th- there's going to be this underlying fundamental driver of, of value. Yes. Now, the RBA can come in and they can sort of knock the edge off that as you say but yes. at a point they're either going to run out of the balance sheet capacity to do anything yes and the broader more 
dominant drivers of underlying supply and demand take over. So does it, it, it seems like, you know, when the, when the dam springs a leak, they put a finger in and then it springs a leak and then we can put it, it, it has an effect. Yes. But over, at a point, it's just kind of like, you know, the, the, the true economics are going to come through. What, what, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, no, totally. Is, is it, it, it mustn't be futile, but can you explain to me why <laughs> yeah. isn't it futile? So at the very extremes, it is completely futile. And right. there is a, there's a story, I can't remember the year now, but it was probably oh, maybe 20 years ago, maybe a long 25 years ago. Do you remember the stories of George Soros actually breaking the Bank of England? Yes. That was yeah. exactly the story. There. Was he basically okay. bet against the pound right? and bet against the pound so heavily and for so long, even the Bank of England couldn't keep up. They just, could, they so, just so, ran out of the flat yeah, power. So, so there, yeah. are, there are times, when this, you're right, it actually can be the case. And so the RBA is not, not, not trying to be absolutist about this. They are simply trying to add supply or add demand when it's necessary, yep. and when it thinks that the the currencies are over, either very overvalued or very undervalued. Does it at least at least smooth out the volatility? Basically, and, and look, at, at some point it does. It does. It does take the edge off at, at the top. You know, if you're putting billions of dollars into buying Australian dollars or selling Australian dollars mm. on any given period of time, that actually does have an impact. It will absolutely blunt that difference. Now, mm. if if to to an extreme amount of time, to an extreme level, if you're doing it forever and forever, you're going to run out of cash eventually. Mm. But even if you do at that point. You've bought enough at a high price that when equilibrium right, re-strikes and it right, falls, right. you're actually going to make money. And this is the, the RBA has unlimited patience. Yes. And that is, we know as investors, that's that's the, the very the best edge. thing you can have yeah. is unlimited patience. Uh, they also have an unlimited balance sheet, by the way. If, yeah. if the that helps as well. Fund them. That, that, that does help. Yeah. But that, that's basically the story. So, you know, it, they don't need to be absolutely right on single trades. Mm. As long as they, on average, are buying higher and on average, sorry, on average selling higher and on average buying lower. Over time, that will make them a whole lot of money. Man, we got way into the weeds on that didn't one, we? didn't we? Um, let's move on. By, by My head is spinning yeah. after that. And thank <laughs> you. Thank you for that definition. Get more Motley Fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. What we have to talk about, mate, is we got a we got a question from John. We did, and um, uh, thanks on for Twitter. Yes, thanks, John. Um, and he's he's, uh, he's he's replied to an article you wrote on Harvey Norman. No, no, it wasn't one I wrote. It was on Business Insider. Oh, sorry. Okay. Yep. Um, I need to follow you more closely on Twitter. <laughs> I, I see your tweets coming. <laughs> oh, I'll read that oh, later. Boring. I, I, I only say that because it's it's fair to Business Insider. We give them the credit. I, I don't want to. Oh yeah, credit of, for that. of course. So it's this idea that we have these accounted for profits yep. that are released, but that. In many cases, and we've, we've touched on this in, in various ways in the past, but it yep. doesn't always line up with the cash profits. And they can be, in fact, two very, very different things. And the question really comes down to whenever you see a situation like that, is that is there big potential for manipulation? Right. Uh, or not just manipulation, but it's like, you know, uh, uh, reporting in a way that doesn't, doesn't really reflect the true underlying economics of the business. Right. Um, and we thought, well, let's, let's dig into that a little bit more. So with Harvey Norman's case, they've mm-hmm. got a whole bunch of property. They, they're the major major um, property owner of large format retail sites in Australia, yes. 15% or so of the market. So they have a bunch of property and then one year that property is worth a little bit more. Yep. So they get to book the increase on that, even though they haven't sold it, even though there's no money has changed hands. Is that reasonable? And have I got that right? Right. So this is a story about whether or not companies are doing the right thing by declaring profits and how much... In profit, should they be able to declare? Mm-hmm. Are they fiddling the books yep. or is it legit? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a couple of different ways you can do these sorts of things. The article is about Harvey Norman. And basically, last year, Harvey Norman booked $100 million bucks worth of profit, mm-hmm. which was purely from just saying, hey, guess what? Our property's worth more. 
Therefore, we made more money. Did they sell that property? No, and this is the thing. I so, thought you had to carry it on your books at the lower of cost or market value. Unless your business is in property most significantly. Oh, unless that's the And Harvey Norman has 2.6 right, 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 right. used to have about $2.6 billion worth of gotcha. property on the books. Gotcha. So, same as uh, so Westfield, for example, does the same thing. A lot of property trusts do the same thing. Okay. If your business does that as a, as a dominant part of its business, as you, you have ask, to mark to market to use the product. Correct, because it's right. an investment rather than, a, rather than an asset of the business. Okay. And that's where it's a little bit different. So, so I, 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 buy, I buy a retail site. Um, uh, for a uh, hundred million, yep. it's worth 150 million next year. Yep, boom! I've just made 50 million dollars, even though you haven't sent a cent of it. Well, it's not un. You can see why the accountants have come up with this um, right requirement because you you do have to account for these things. Hence the name accounting. Um, <laughs> uh, so so it's not unreasonable. But then at the same time. A, a reasonable company, I know Harvey Norman will do this, will give you enough information so you can still work out what the cash scenario correct, is. Correct, correct. Now, that, there was a, a rise of $48 million last year. Mm -hmm. I think the year before that, they actually lost money. The property value actually fell over that period yep. of time. And here's, okay. here's what's it. So this is the, the, <laughs> the bad news for our listeners is the reported numbers, the headline numbers are rarely worth the paper they're written on for most companies. Yeah. Not because anyone's being dodgy, just because that it hides, or it doesn't hide, it just simply replaces a whole lot of detail that actually matters a whole heap. Yeah. Now, if Harvey, so frankly, take it this way. If I liked Harvey Norman's business, mm. and they, they booked $100 million write down on their property, and they made a loss that year, just because yeah. the property was worth a little bit less. Yeah. It doesn't impact their ability to earn money as an operating business. In other words, they're going to sell the same number of toasters and TVs and beds and sofas yep. and God knows what. Yep. Regardless of what the property's worth. Mm. Now, if I'm buying a business because of that property value, yes. then that's important. Yes. If I'm buying it for the underlying operating business, yes. then it's a sideshow. And yes. what I should be focusing on is how much money the operating business made. Right. Now, the flip side of that is something like a property trust where you literally are buying it for the property proper. Yep. You're saying, well, how much is that worth? And that does matter to some degree particularly if you're buying it for the value of the underlying assets. Yeah. So if I'm buying $100 million worth of property, if it's only worth 70, yep. that's pretty crappy. Yep. If I buy $100 million worth of property that's worth 150, then I'm pretty happy about that. If if I'm if it's the asset value I care about. Mm. So that's that's the key number is what is the underlying operating business delivering if it's an operating business like yep. Norman, yep. That's what you should care more about. As an investor, that's what you should be looking through those numbers. Yes. To the proper operating metrics. So understanding the business. Funds from at, operations is what you'd focus yeah, on. This, yeah, this is a great question from John because it really is is Harvey Norman fiddling the numbers? No, absolutely not. No. Um, but do those numbers help or hinder investors? Not Harvey Norman's fault, by the way. Yeah. But that's where you've got to look and say, let me understand that a little bit better. So that that reval does not, uh, uh, unless Reval, you sell how that. are you going? Pretty cool. <laughs> it doesn't It doesn't mean more cash in my pocket. It doesn't give me a greater capacity to pay out dividends, right? Correct. And so that's important. Other businesses have underlying or one-off or reported or regular operations or profits. Yes. Again, those situations, you've got to look at that and say, what is management trying to tell you? Are they trying to help you understand the business better? Or are they trying to paper over some cracks, trying to sort of smooth out some things and make it all go away? Yeah. It's really, really important for us as you're listening and reading and, re and you know, to, to management do their thing. Just think about what are they giving you and is that more information or less information than you need to understand the operating performance of the business? Is it is it helping you say, I get what that business does, how it makes its money, how well it's doing that? Yep. Or is it obfuscating it by saying, well, let's take out that cost and that cost and that cost. And yep. if we exclude all of our costs, the revenue is great. So, well, that's not enough, guys. We need to know what else is and going on. And I think it's a lot to be said too for consistency. So, so there's a right. lot of companies that have these sort of non- uh, statutory measures, but that management use for themselves because they feel it gives a better view of the business. Soul Pats is a classic. They always report this number called regular profit. Right, right. Uh, Iris is another one. They have always got something they call segment profit. Yes. And it's their own definition. And Co you can, a computer should have management earnings. Management earnings. Yep. And you can look yep. at that and you can kind of scratch your head. But where I will give those guys, all of those guys credit is they have reported in that manner for 10 years plus. So it is 
it is it, it you can argue for or against it, but it is always consistent, which I think is is worth something. And, and well, so one last thing is is when a company highlights the the a way they're consistent, and b when they highlight those numbers, even though they're less oppressive than the, the yes, other numbers. Yes, yes, <coughs> yeah, yeah, that's totally. a big deal. So if you see a company that says um, profit was up forty percent. But my reported profit is up 100%. Yeah. If they're headlining with the regular profit, the underlying profit, whatever number that is, even though the other one's better, yeah. that's you know they're trying to inform you and tell you straight. Solpats, I'm a shareholder. I'll put my hand up for that. But I also will say these guys are very, very good every single year at reporting the regular profit. This year, their regular profit growth was about half of their uh, their, their statutory number. Yeah. They could have absolutely come out and said, look, guess what? Profit's up 100%. Yeah. Um, in the case, it, it Well, was. they did actually. But then they said, but our regular profit, which we normally well, but, report, but the headline still actually, up 50%. They, they led on the headline with the regular profit number, which was right. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. You know what? Very, very quickly, because we are running out of time. Uh, 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 very, uh, very quickly, let's go on. Solpats is fascinating because it's an investment conglomerate. The way that they report is really interesting. So we had their results out. Yes, as you said, 50% increase in regular profit or thereabouts. Now, these guys own 25% of TBG, which you and, I, you and I and the rest of the world know has just crashed basically over the last year. Yep. And yet, that was a positive contributor to Solpats results. And it's a question that came up a lot. So I thought we'd just very quickly touch on it there is, is, is that you've got a, a situation here where when you own between basically 20 and 50%, you just, you just aggregate the underlying profit results into your books and the share price itself has got nothing to do with it. Does that, is that along John's line of thinking? Is that a little bit dodgy? I have to, uh, I have to invoke the princess bride here, Andrew. Okay. Fascinating. You keep using that word. I don't think that word means what you think it means. <laughs> there, there are so many people who think that's fascinating. I appreciate your fascination for it. I share your fascination. I'm not entirely sure our listeners want to hear about associated entities and, and aggregated profits. But, Equity accounting, but, consolidation methods. <laughs> there's a bonus episode idea for us. There you go. Hey, tune in, fools. We'll bore you silly with that. No. I'll, I'll read out my spreadsheet if you like. I really get oh, you God, excited. God, you love a spreadsheet. I will answer your question because you asked it, and then we'll move on so okay. listeners don't switch off. Um, Yes, it is, it is really important. There is a definite difference between the amount of a business you own, mm -hmm. um, if you're a corporate entity, so whether you own all, whether you own 50% of it, 20% of it or less, yep. as to how you're obliged to account for that. And it really does matter. So to your point, even though the value of TPG fell and the profits fell, Solpats no, got the pro a higher the, the dividend. Profits, the profits rose. Profits rose, correct. So, yep. Yeah, but the share price fell. But the share price fell, yeah. And Solpats get to, a, get to a claim profit on that, even though the value of their shareholding fell. Yes, their profits are higher because it, the way they it can does seem it. a little bit. Hey, that's not you know you own twenty five percent of this company and it's fallen and you, you're not recording. But well, the thing, the, the the flip to that is, yeah, yep. but they didn't get any of the benefit on the way up either. Correct. They're and, still carrying it at cost. On and their just books. and just like the the, the story about Harvey Norman, yep. what really matters is what is TPG's value to Solpats? Yes. Is it is it of value because its assets are worth X? Yep. Or is it of value because the income it provides is Y? The answer to that should tell you how to think about it. Even though the accounting rules are very clear. As an investor, you can always make a change yourself and say, no, no, I'm buying, T I'm buying Solpats for the TPG asset value. Yes. Therefore, I think it's worth less now. Yes. Or if you're saying I'm buying, TP I'm buying Solpats because the TPG profit flows, then you're prepared to pay more. And knowing the difference as an individual investor is really important. Gotcha. Motley Fool Money. For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Liam, cue the sound effects. Oh, I got the winnie. Excellent. <laughs> so, mate, uh, uh, very quickly, I'm going to get on my high horse and I am going to rant. You do, uh, oh, okay. I, just, I just need to make the point that mm. Liam obviously is playing favourites. I got no Jane's got a gun. You get a winnie. <laughs> Liam, I, 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 I'm. You've got to look after the staff. I've, I've, I've got to go now. I warned you that Janie's got a gun was a one off. <laughs> There's a cost involved. <laughs> fair enough. Fair that enough. winnie isn't attributed to a single horse, so they can't. <laughs> nice. Claim. That's what you think. Wait for the, wait for the lawsuit. There's a horse out there going. I'm sure that's that me. Was me. I'm sure that's me. I did not give permission. Andrew. So, 
Um, Saddle up. I, I, mate, I tell you what gets my goat um, more than most things is this notion <laughs> of stop loss orders. And brokers love to push these things as a way to just basically remove all kinds of risks associated with share market investing. For those that don't know, a stop loss order is something where I can say, listen, place an order to sell my shares if the shares fall below a certain amount. So shares might be at a dollar, I'll buy them at a dollar, and then I'll say to my stockbroker, if they get to 90 cents, sell them. And that way I've kind of got this quote unquote guaranteed protection. No matter what happens on the market, I'll sell out at 90 cents and the worst I can do is lose 10%, but I get all the upside. So Sounds pretty good, right? I was going to say, that's terrible. Why? Well, i tell you why it's terrible. Uh, I thought you might. There's, there's a couple of reasons for it. The first thing is it's not a guarantee. They can endeavor to try and sell it, but if there's no buyers there, you know they can't just create um, a market out of thin air. So mm. it is far from guaranteed. And when big negative things happen, that will gap all the way down, bypassing your stop loss mm -hmm. and will offer you zero protections. More importantly, more practical and more common an error is that shares, you know, I hate to be the, the guy to break this to people, is they're really, really volatile. So you can have the best business in the world that might be a dollar and could have every chance of being $10 in 10 years time, but it just doesn't go up in a nice, neat line. So you get all these situations where you think, right, I'm going to buy this for all the right reasons, thinking long-term, and then, you know, a volcano in Iceland goes off and the market happens to fall down and you get sold out. So you get two lots of brokerages that you have to wear on that. Mm -hmm. You get sold out of your position and really nothing's changed with the business. And all it, all it does is that means that you, you, you may have to buy back in at another point and possibly at a higher one with all these transaction costs layered in between. So it doesn't yep. really give you that advantage. Yep. Um, uh, so there are obviously situations where people can point to and say, Hey, if I had one here, I would have avoided all of this. And that <laughs> is true. Yep. But you have to look at these things on aggregate. The reason why the brokers push them so strongly, um, not to sound like a cynic, is because but, they make their money on brokerage. And the more they can <laughs> encourage you to trade, the more money they are going to make. Surely so the, not. The person who buys shares and pop, pops them in the bottom drawer is a stockbroker's worst client. They Surely do not, not like that kind of person because they don't make much money for them. So all I can say, fools, look, there is, there is no way to guarantee to remove all of your risk. And, um, you know, these things have tend to do more damage than, than harm, uh, sorry, more damage than good yep. in the long run. But it, if it sounds too good to be true, it is don't waste your time with them. Your I, far better protection <laughs> is just doing a bunch of due diligence and having a very, very good understanding of what it is you're buying. I'm going to very quickly jump on the back of your high horse. We'll ride, okay. we'll ride, ride two, two to a horse for a second. Okay. Only to say Amazon has gone from a split adjusted price of three bucks to about a thousand. Call it a 300, 300X increase for, among friends. Yep. And I don't know exactly how many times if I'd done a little bit of research, I knew you were going to talk about it, I would have done the research, but I haven't. What I do know is it fell by more than 10% on many, many, many occasions <sighs> during its life. Dozens and, so and dozens. Yeah. If you think about it, if it fell from $4 yeah. to three sixty, you would yeah. have been stopped out. Yeah. If it fell from $5 to four fifty, you were stopped out. If it fell from $190, yeah. you were stopped out. If it fell from 400 to 360 you were stopped out on the way to 1000 The volatility you, you bore as part of that for owning those stocks well, what delivered you a 300x return. If the company's worth owning, the volatility is irrelevant. If the company's not worth owning, then don't own them at all. Don't worry about the volatility. There's no point owning a crap that's, stock that's my, and being stopped it's, out at 10 It's so insane. Like if, if honestly, if the business is unchanged and you liked it as much as you did before, you've now got it 10% cheaper. If anything, you should be buying more of it. It makes no sense whatsoever. Stop wasting your time. Wrap us up. Wrap us up. Okay, thank you very much. We've only gone about 10 minutes over time here today, so that's pretty good. The good thing is we're being paid by the... I oh, know we're not. No. <laughs> oh, Do you oh. get paid? <laughs> no. <laughs> what? Liam? <clears throat>
Well, that almost wraps it up. Before we go, it don't forget. It, you, it actually does wrap it up. Indeed. You, well, I've got to put the plug in first. Okay. You can subscribe to the Triple M Motley Fool Money podcast through iTunes and your favorite Android podcast app. Or you can go to fool.com.au forward slash Triple M. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. Until next week, full on. Full on. Hey! <laughs> the Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.